Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house, the land that I will show you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Just like that. A very short telling for a very complicated event. It can't have been as simple as scripture tells us, and in fact, it wasn't. Abram was, after all, a rich man, which meant he had access to a lot of land on which his large flocks of sheep and goats and probably donkeys could graze. And he had a complicated household full of male and female servants and their children and all their clothing and all their household goods and so on. And his immediate family was complicated as well. His wife, Sarah, and her servant, Hagar, with whom Abraham had a son, Ishmael, while Sarah was apparently unable to have children. And there was quite a complicated relationship between Sarah and Hagar. Sarah had, after all, consented to Abraham's relationship with Hagar, but after Ishmael was born, Sarah became quite jealous. And ultimately, Hagar and Ishmael were sent away. And then there's Abraham's extended family as well. All his kinfolk and their families, a tribe of which he had been a part since birth. All of that's very complicated and very tightly interwoven and connected. And yet, scripture tells us, Abraham just goes. Which means, somehow, all these people and sheep and goats and goods and all of that got pulled together and then went. We all know moving is hard. For me, this is close to inconceivable. And go where? An unknown place. God doesn't name it. God says Abraham will find out later. God will show him later where this land is. So not only does Abraham untangle all these connections and figure out how to move everybody and everything, he also takes a big risk. He goes out into the unknown. Will he?
So, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> so, <laughs> without a child, a son, how is Abraham to become a great nation? How is his name going to be great? That's the promise made by God, but Abraham doesn't even know where he's going. And yet, Abraham goes. And as Paul says, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God, and so he was in a right relationship with God. He was righteous. That ultimately is why this story matters so much. Abraham trusted God. He had confidence in God. He risked everything on this word from God. He did what God told him to do, even though it was complicated and difficult and probably frightening. Abraham went. He was in right relationship with God. And indeed, as promised, Abraham's descendants are beyond counting, and indeed his name is known, the ancestor of three great religions, known as a faithful man beyond those. Paul's emphasis that Abraham's righteousness is based on something much more fundamental than what we usually think of as righteousness is really important. In our culture and time, I think, we tend to think righteousness has to do with living properly, with having a firm moral compass and a firm allegiance to a set of values and purposes. It has to do with upholding the highest standards and behaving well in accord with the best of one's culture and society. Righteousness means being consistent and relatively unshakable, with being upright, solid, and clear-sighted. Unless, of course, we're thinking of self-righteousness, which is all of those things, except the basis of them is oneself, regardless of what that may mean for others. Now, it's easy to get this good view of righteousness of a moral life determined by something larger than oneself, it's easy to see how we got that. After all, anyone can observe anyone else's behavior over time and apparently figure out from, what, from that what their moral compass is or isn't. They act righteous and then we read that back and say they must be righteous. But Paul, quite deliberately, contrasts righteousness with works, by which he means not only good deeds and right living, but also following the law and right worship. In other words, righteousness is not something that is simply evident from, from observing behavior. It's not just obeying the law. And by the law, Paul means not only the Torah, the law given by God to Moses, but he also means what has come to be called natural law, the order of things, even the way things are. 
but it's important for Christians particularly to understand why Paul makes this contrast. It is most emphatically not to criticize or condemn the law or the Jews. As far as Paul is concerned, the law, be it the Torah or natural law, is given by God. And it's given by God to help us be in right relationship with God. But the point is not merely to follow or to obey. Rather, it's to become holy. It is to know God better, to live a life in which God is the focus. It is in order to be in right relationship with God, and when with God, then also with others. Paul makes this point, and he makes it a lot over the course of his letters, because he is convinced, he believes, he trusts, that the God of Jesus is the God of all people, Jew and Gentile. God does not require that we follow the law, the same way of doing things and living well. What God requires is more basic. What God requires is what God requires of Abraham, and that is our trust, our confidence, our firm conviction that God knows what God is up to, even when we don't. And the God made all things good with the potential for fullness and goodness and holiness. And that God works toward that fullness. What God requires of Abraham and of us is that, what, is that we trust God, have confidence in God, even when what God requires, as far as we can tell, is something wildly other and beyond what we can ever imagine. Pick up everything and everyone and just go. If we're convinced that God is saying that and we follow God, then we are in right relationship with God. If we are convinced that it is God who is speaking, we take the risk, we venture forth, we go, we trust. And that trust is greater than whatever doubts and qualms or questions we may have. And we do have them. We should have them. Abraham and Sarah certainly have them. Abraham has a child with Hagar in part because he does believe that God will make him a great nation, but also because he doubts. He's not at all sure that that's going to happen through his relationship with Sarah. And when the angels of God, the messengers of God, tell Sarah that she will at long last bear a son, she questions this. How can this be, she says, because I'm past my childbearing age and anyway my husband is an old man. But these questions, these doubts, don't negate their trust. Quite the opposite, the questions and the doubts provoke Abraham and Sarah in this story and in many others to think hard about what it means to trust God, to ponder these things in their hearts deeply and seriously. 
to recognize that God knows what God is up to. That God is always, however oddly, however mysteriously, working all things for the good and the right and the holy. So questioning, doubting is part of faith and trust means trusting even when there are doubts. Trust in God, faith in God, means choosing God even in the most unlikely and inconceivable situations and in the ordinary, likely, and familiar situations as well. That's what being in right relationship means. And not just in those moments when we're convinced God is telling us to do something big or risky or uncertain. Those are the times we're most likely to think about trusting God and what that means. But faith, trust in God, is also a daily thing, a habit, a character trait that we can develop. I trust God when I listen to someone else and hear who they really are. I trust God when I do something for someone or with someone who is in need or in trouble or someone whom I don't find particularly interesting or lovable. I trust God when I put my time and effort into something no one will ever recognize me for. And I trust God to help me figure out what I'm to do, even when it's something I've not done well before or haven't done before at all. I take the risk that God knows what God's up to, even if I don't. And trusting God, I find myself in right relationship with God, at least for the moment. The doubts may still be there, they often are in my case, but I take a chance. Faith entails trust, and trust always entails a degree of uncertainty. Uncertainty in oneself. Am I trusting wisely? I haven't always but am I this time? But also trust in the other, that the other will be worth our trust, will do what is promised, will regard us well, and will respond to the trust we place with faithfulness. Trust is to take the risk that the other is reliable and truthful and concerned with our, our well-being. Trust is having faith, confidence in the other and in our relationship when little things are at stake and when big ones are. Abraham and Sarah trusted God. They did what God said over and over again, even when trusting was costly, as it often was. Uncertainty and doubt certainly but also confidence that what God promises will come to pass. And we are children of Abraham and Sarah who long to trust God as they did. We are confident that God's promises will come true. And so, like them, we go.